The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning, you're going to notice a, a common theme, some of it planned, some of it unplanned, and that's the beautiful thing about uh, being part of... Uh, the worship experience is to see how God is moving in different ways and yet moving in the same way. Um, so before we dive in to God's Word this morning, it is just, how many people here, how many people worshiped in this space prior to, there we go, raise your hands. All right, it's a little surreal being back. Uh, it's a little nicer but uh, it still feels really good. It's got a good feel to it, and it's good to be in this place um, again. So this morning, we are looking at Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, Hear now the reading of God's Word. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. This is the very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that you would work exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or can even imagine. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work powerfully through your word to expose the false ways of living, the false ways of being that we have embraced, uh, even as your children, even as Christians in this life, in this world, and in this moment. Oh God, expose to us what needs to change and yet invite us higher up and deeper into you. Oh God, I pray that you would do mighty things in our hearts in the coming moments. I pray even if there are some here that may not have believed walking in, that they would believe walking out because they have met the living God. I pray, oh God, that you would be with those who say they do believe, but it's been a while since they've genuinely been in the face and the presence of you, the living God. Come, break hard hearts, break hearts up into little pieces, and then put it back together in your strength. Lord, I pray that you would open us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For several months, um, I've been getting this notice on my computer that keeps popping up at different times, and it says, you are running out of both physical and virtual memory. And I, like any responsible adult, um, have just hit the close button and uh, moved on. But what I'm finding is the more I do this, the more often it's popping up. And I think it's trying to say, to say something to me. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I think it's trying to tell me that I better do something or my computer is about to crash. The reason that we have been marching through this series that we call uh, rest is because it is our assumption that most of us are running on empty. Most of us are living past our margins and most of us are getting that warning light every now and then saying, you're, you're running on empty, you're, you're not healthy, and yet we, like most responsible adults, just kind of push close and move on. 
And I think even if those of us in this room that want to embrace that, that want to say, okay, I, I need to change my life, we, we might take a day off, or we might build in some margin in our schedules, we might take you know, a, 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 a spa day, or go fishing, or something like that, but we really don't understand what we have been called to do as believers. We really don't know how to be as Christians in our present context in a healthy way. You see, the true answer is not just rest. It is to commune with God through rest. It's not just slow down. It's slow down that you might commune with the living God who wants to meet you throughout your day. Who's not just here on Sunday mornings. Who's not just here and we feel His presence. So many of us, uh, the first several minutes of worship. And yet, this is the experience that we are to have. We are to live in the, the presence and before the face of God all the time. Just look at Jesus. Jesus, undeniably, the, the most self-sufficient, or the one who could be most self-sufficient, the one who could literally live, live life saying, I don't need anyone or anything, chooses not to live that way. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often said no to hurry. In fact, he always said no to hurry. Jesus constantly and strategically and intentionally said no to a pace of life that would do violence to his soul that would keep him from loving, loving his neighbor, that would keep him from communing with his Father and the Spirit. He said no to that and yes to a whole different way of living. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Because if Jesus needed that, if Jesus determined to live that way, don't you think we should live that way as well? Well, before we get there, I want us to do a little bit of surgery. I want us to, to march through some ways that, that we have really embraced a life that is marginless. And thus, inevitably, because we've built a system that is so filled with distractions, so filled with, with, with busyness, that there's literally no way we're going to commune with God. And the fact that maybe we do encounter Him in worship is because we have stepped out of how we typically live into a different rhythm, like this space here, that, that, that is worship. And we have been led to the Father, and we have been invited into His presence. The reason that we're not experiencing God, the reason that we're living in a constant state of burnout is because we have embraced a marginless life that inevitably pushes God out. Dr. Richard Swenson wrote a book called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves for Overloaded Lives. And this is what he said. It's in your bulletin. Marginless is the disease of the new millennium. Margin is its cure. We must have some room to breathe. We need freedom to think and permission to heal. Our relationships are being starved to death by velocity. No one has time to listen, let alone love. Our children lay wounded on the ground, run over by our high-speed good intentions. Is God now pro-exhaustion? Doesn't He lead people beside the still waters anymore? Who plundered those wide open spaces of the past? And how can we get them back? 
There are no fallow lands for our emotions to lie down and rest in. Friends, he's right. We live in a marginless life. We, we suffer from activity overload, expectation overload, all those pressures we put on ourselves, all the, the shoulds that we put on ourselves, information overload. Think about it. One edition of the New York Times is more information than a typical 17th century person would ever consume in their lifetime. And that's just one source that we're being bombarded with constantly. Information overload, not to mention media overload. Entertainment anxiety is a thing. I was with some good friends last night, and, and they, like so many others, actually they were the second person this week that, that said, have y'all seen Ted Lasso? And that's an innocent question. But here's what my body does when somebody recommends another thing that I need to watch. I feel this weight, I feel this anxiety, this little urge of, oh man, i got to make time for that. I mean, how am I not, you know, it's, in, it's entertainment anxiety because they're about the fifth person to tell me that I should, you know, that it's worth watching and I should go after. Entertainment anxiety, noise overload, fatigue overload. Ann Peterson, in an article that was published in BuzzFeed, called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, points to a phenomenon. And it, it, you, Google that article, uh, Ann Peterson, not necessarily right now, but uh, just look to, at it later. Uh, it's a long article, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Uh, but she goes through this long explanation that basically says um, that millennials have received a bad rap saying that they're um, a lazy generation, unmotivated generation, and so forth. She says just the opposite, that millennials have been highly motivated, but, um, but they are literally living on burnout because um, what they... they invest their time in, in high-return um, responsibilities, but they're so burned out there that they can't do the simplest things. And Ann Peterson talks about her own life and the shame she feels. She said, I, re she said, I can't do just the basic stuff, like get a, an expense report done, or, or uh, I can't remember to get to the post office to buy stamps, or just small things, but she gets to the reason why. She said, mostly it's because, um, you know, I, there is no time clock for me to clock in and clock out. You know, I saw some of you posting this week, um, uh, actually Friday that says Friday is the end of the work week. Uh, I don't know if some of you saw that, but it was just this reminder of, hey, shut it off. It was, it was to teachers because the, the, you know, the temptation for you teachers is to, okay, I'm going to really cram this weekend and come in sharp, but no, you're going to come in burnt out and overloaded. And she said, that's how we live. We, we never clock out. We're constantly going with social media. We are on Slack, we're on email, we're on text, and we never stop working. We're waking up in the middle of the night and responding to emails. We are constantly moving, and our bodies were not meant, our souls were not meant. We were not built to work 24-7. We were not built to, to be and, and to operate like a computer, and as I'm learning, my computer can't even operate 24-7. And so she, she makes this uh, quote that is in your, um, 
bulletin. She said, I, referring to millennial, the millennial generation, our capacity to burn out and keep working is our greatest value. German philosopher Hahn wrote in 2015, The Burnout Society. And he says, we've gone from a disciplinary um, culture to an achievement culture. A disciplinary culture says that um, basically the moral law code or the law code of a disciplinary society is no. Can't do that, can't do that. But we are in an achievement society where the moral law code is yes. Everything's permissible. And that's the problem. Listen to what he said. 21st century society is no longer a disciplinary society, but rather an achievement society. Also, its inhabitants are no longer obedient subjects, but achievement subjects. They are entrepreneurs of themselves. The violence of positivity does not deprive, it saturates. It does not exclude, it exhausts. So what he's doing is he's pointing to the Achievement Society as the very reason why over the last several decades we have become the most depressed um, culture in history, how, how depression has become epidemic throughout our culture and throughout the world. And, and so um, he believes that this, you know, everything's permissible, everything is possible, um, you know, moral law code of the Achievement Society is to blame. He writes, depression began its ascent when the disciplinary model for behavior, the rules of authority, and observance of taboos that gave social classes as well as both sexes a specific destiny broke against the norms by enjoining us to be ourselves. The depressed individual is unable to measure up. He is tired of having to become himself. The depressive's bleak thought, nothing is possible, that's the thought of someone who's in depression, nothing is possible, can only occur in a society that thinks nothing is impossible. You see, friends, I have found that the greatest thing, that the greatest news I think that we need to hear today is not that we're kings and queens, but that we are dust, that we have limits, that we can't do everything. This idea that we can do everything and, and accomplish everything and go everywhere and, and we, can, we, you know, we can have all the balls in the air and not suffer from it is a lie because we are dust made in the image of God with an incredible worth, but we are still dust. We are not God. And even God took the day off. Even God rests as we see in Genesis. Many are proposing now that we've really moved from the achievement society where everything is okay, now we're really just all depressed, and therefore we are um, a doping society, just looking for the next exercise class, the next coolest bar, like the one on the other side of that, that, that uh, wall, the next coolest coffee shop, the next best Netflix series, the next best this, the next best, and whatever. Uh, it, it, I think by the time uh, an average male reaches the age of 21, uh, they have averaged 10,000 hours on video games. We are a doping society now, depressed and numbing ourselves. And unfortunately, friends, the church is not much different. But there is a way out. You see, number two, God invites us to something better 
namely communion with him. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He did that not because it was duty. He did that because that's where the party is. He did that because that's where life is. He did that because that's where oxygen is. He did that because that's where nourishment is. He did that because that's where the joy fills you that you might overflow in a depressive and, and, and depressed uh, world. Do you see it? Jesus handled himself in a different way. He communed with the Father. I have been doing premarital counseling with couples for over 30 years now. And over the last couple of decades, a book that I've used the most is written by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman called The Intimate Mystery. And uh, practically every um, young couple about to get married um, wants to hear about communication, and rightly so. Um, huge issue in any relationship. Well, this is what Tremper Longman and Dan Aller said about um, communication. They said, he said this, good talk leads to soul weaving. So good communication leads to soul weaving. The weaving together of two souls is the creation of a piece of art that is more costly and beautiful than any Rembrandt, Monet, or Chagall. It's the most beautiful of all God's creation. It's delicate and rare. It is to be strived for, and we need to acknowledge that it doesn't come easy or often, even to a good marriage. But the fact that it's rare ought not to be discouraging. Instead, its rarity is meant to invigorate our search for this pearl of great price. Communing with your spouse is the banquet. <laughs> Communing with your spouse, genuinely meeting each other in those, those rare times where you really do, you feel your souls being woven together, not doing violence toward each other in disagreement, but genuinely being woven together through good, vulnerable conversation. That is the money for relationship. But friends, marriage is just a taste of what our relationship is and our marriage to God is supposed to be. You see, communication with Him, communing with Him, that's where our souls are woven into God Himself, and God's soul is woven into ours. That's what Christianity is inviting us to. That's what is being offered to us in the gospel. And so the question is this, are you experiencing this reality? Are you moving toward God through His Word and being um, and experiencing the presence of God? If you're not, I understand why you would give up on church. I understand a culture that is saying, forget it because the church is, is giving me nothing. The church is giving me just entertainment and another thing and more obligations and more this and more that. But are we as downtown church giving you the presence of God? Friends, I am determined that is what we must give one another. We must invite each other into communion with God Himself because that is the feast. This was the way Jesus um, was present and carried Himself throughout His public ministry and life on this earth. It's all throughout the Gospels. Let me just march through the Gospels quickly. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, and, and I love the context here. 
um, right before this, we see that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. And he's fasting and praying 40 days and 40 nights. He launches his public ministry, ministers for a day or two, and then listen in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, if I'm Jesus' coach, <laughs> if I'm Jesus' church planning coach, I'm like, dude, you just spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting and praying, and you're going to tell me you need another, you know, you need another half a day to pray? Jesus said, yeah, because this is life. Not the ministry, but my communion with the Father. I love it. After the multiplication of the loaves in Mark 6, 46, after he had taken leave of them, he just fed 5,000 people and probably more, 5,000 men, probably more. He had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray. Isn't that beautiful? Luke 6, 12, immediately before choosing his 12 apostles, in these days, he went into the hills to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Oh, he was just super spiritual, hyper spiritual. No, he was like, this is the money. This is where it's at. It's not working with these 12 guys I'm about to call away. Believe me, that's going to be draining. That's going to, that's going to kill me, literally. And yet he says, this is the money, praying all night with my father, meeting him in the darkness. Luke 9, 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the people say that I am? Immediately before the transfiguration, Luke 9, 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And you know what happened? God comes down in the midst, and that's what the whole, that's what you want. That's what you're after. God, come down. God, let me see you. Oh, God, let me touch you. Let me be in your presence. Before the teaching of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, 1 through 2. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said, sure, when you pray, say this. Beautiful. During his last week in Jerusalem, John 17, the high priestly prayer, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his, eye, up his eyes to heaven and said, and then he gives a prayer, 26 verses, praying for the church, praying for us before um, he is crucified, died and buried and resurrected. Uh, before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, John, we read, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Prayer is not always just roses and bubbles. Uh, he said to them, my soul is very sorry, or he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, term of endearment, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. It's, it's the cup of wrath, the cup of hell that he's about to have to drink and take upon himself. 
yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, solitude with God was not, uh, uh, wasn't essential with Jesus. He had to get off because he understood that external quiet is the avenue to producing internal quiet. And internal quiet is essential for communion with God. Listen to Henry Nouwen. Without silence, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. St. John of the Cross, silence is God's first language. Where am I going to meet God? Silence. Mother Teresa, God is the friend of silence. Richard Foster, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us involved in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Life with God demands great intentionality. It won't just happen. But creating, um, um, but be warned, everything external and internal is going to resist this whole deal. If you leave this morning and say, okay, I'm getting after it, you have to know it's not going to be easy. And that's why you have to start where you are and not shame yourself that you're not 14 miles ahead of where you are. Start where you are and expect challenge. Expect challenge even to silence your soul for a minute for some of us, for 30 seconds for some of us. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, refers to this push-pull phenomena. I want it. I want to be with you, God. But, oh, you know, I really don't want the exposure. I, I know what, I, what I've done. I know who I am. And I, I really don't want you seeing all my business, even though we know he already knows all our business. And so there's this push-pull reality. And, 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 you know, we want you. We want you. Oh, we try. But, oh, it's much easier to stream Netflix for the next five or six hours, you know. This push-pull thing. The enemy of the devil knows this. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, uh, Screwtape calls the devil's kingdom a kingdom of noise and boasts. He says this, We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And I would have to say mission accomplished. Our whole universe is noise. You have to be it's in, intentional intentional to capture solitude and silence before God. But friends, we have to retake ground by looking at our schedule and doing it. We are being played. Maybe that'll help you. The devil is playing us. Yes, all things are permissible, but all things are not beneficial. What is not beneficial in your life? What are those moments you need to recapture? We have to recapture the ground. I've told you before, and it, it sounds so ridiculous, but one thing, I've, I've recaptured the ground of when I drive. I used to, I was a junkie of ESPN radio. And, and it sounds ridiculous because nothing, you learn nothing on ESPN radio, uh, especially during COVID, especially in the off-season. Um, they're just giving recipes and stuff. They're talking about nothing. I listened to it because it was noise. I've stopped that. And, and I've, I've started just analyzing and taking the moments when I, if maybe I've left a meeting, maybe I got a phone call, maybe I've, I'm avoiding a person. And I start asking those heart questions. Why am I avoiding that person? 
Why did that just make me so mad? Why did this person in that meeting... Also, just listening to the Bible app, just one psalm, just a few verses, just listening to it on the way home, trying to do Lectio Divina, do slow reading of the Scriptures, letting God bring words to to your mind and heart in those moments. Not capturing three hours, which we need to at times, but capturing the small moments, your, your lunch break, in between classes maybe, uh, while you're giving a test, you know, here's the test. What am I going to do? I'm going to recapture these moments, and I'm going to contemplate, and I'm going to hear from God, and I'm going to reset my soul, because if I don't, I'm going to kill these children, and they're going to kill me uh, at the end of the day. I'm going to, whatever those moments are, we have to retake ground. We have to reclaim the ground in our lives and declare them for God. And we need to stop just doing devotionals. We need to live a life communing with God. It's not about how much you can read. It's about how much you can commune with God and how much of God you can drink in. Because He is the one forming your souls. Thirdly and finally, the purpose of silence and solitude is meeting with God to find true life. We're, we're going to end on this. When God just led me to Exodus 34 for this. Um, this is when Moses had gone up on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments, came down, found God's people. Uh, they had shaped you know, a golden calf, and they were worshiping this golden calf. And he, out of a fit of anger, he breaks the Ten Commandments. But what does God do? Get back up on the mountain, Moses. And this is what we read. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now this is the Trinity right here. God comes down, and I don't know who's talking here, but this is what the name... God proclaims His own name, the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Can you imagine what, where Moses was? Moses is like, okay, I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. I literally broke the Ten Commandments uh, in a fit of rage. But also, these people are the biggest morons in history. They have fashioned a golden calf. And then God says, come back. And he's got to be thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble. He's going to get me. God is going to get me because I broke the Ten Commandments. And what does God do? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, <laughs> slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for morons like you. Isn't that beautiful? Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? You see, one has said, all you need is nothing to come to God. All you need is stop bartering. Start, all you need is to bring nothing to God, but few have it. 
And that's what he was saying here. Yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is punishment. But only for those who won't humble themselves before me. This is a beautiful invitation. When we meet with God, yes, our sin is exposed. But his love is exposed and overshadows it. The purpose of communing with God is to get attuned to his heart of love for you. It's to do exactly what Allison led our children and us to do earlier. It is to literally take those images of his creation, of his promises. He gave us that rainbow as a reminder of his faithfulness and love to us that he will, he will never do what he did um, um, again in the flood. And to literally imagine the reality to get it deep in our souls, to take God's word into our soul. Silence, solitude, scripture, and surrender. That's the practice. And I want to do that right now. I want us to end. Typically, I end with saying, come to Jesus, and I hope you do. But I want to lead you into the presence of Jesus. And so this is what I want us to do. If you want to write it down, silence, scripture, surrender. Silence, scripture, surrender. So let's close our eyes right now. Let's do what the children did. Let's take a deep breath and breathe out. Relax your shoulders. Just be silent. I want to read just two verses, three verses of Psalm 23. As I read it, let it wash over you. See what the Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit in right now. Say, Holy Spirit, come to me. Speak to me. Know my anxious thoughts. Psalmist writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Surrender to Him right now as your shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let go of the resistance. Stop fighting him. Your shepherd is your king. He possesses all authority. He will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. You can trust Him. Accept the reality that you're a sheep, you're a lamb. A lamb follows 
That's all a lamb does. That's the job description. You don't have to find yourself. Rest in him. And he will lead and free you by his love. The shepherd loves his sheep. The scriptures tell us that God is dancing over us with joy. Can you picture your God dancing over you with joy? You can trust where he's leading you. Green pastures, still waters, paths of righteousness. Let him take control of your heart, your thoughts. Let him calm your fears. Let him restore your soul with his love, his forgiveness, his righteousness that he gives you. He has obeyed the law in your place. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Our glorious King, thank you. Thank you that you are our shepherd. Forgive us for trying to run off to pastures that we create. For making the waters rough with our control and our need to have our hands on everything. Gracious Father, lead us by your Spirit through your Word. Open our eyes to the green pastures and the still waters and the paths of righteousness. Help us to see that our sin is just breeding unrest. Lead us to you. And we do this and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, friends, how are you going to drink in God for the rest of the week, for the rest of the day? This is how to do it. Now, go do it. Imagine what we would be like. Imagine the kind of church we would be if we genuinely commune with God. May we do it. As we uh, wrap up this morning, may we continue worshiping it by bringing tithes and offerings. We can do so by texting the number in your bulletin. Uh, there are also, I believe there are baskets outside on the table, I'm thinking, for uh, physical checks, or you can go to our website and give on the realm. Um, let's look at a few announcements um, before we dismiss. Um, visitors, we really would love to get to know you, and the only way we can do that, we don't have cards unless there were some on the table, but please text this number and let us know who you are 
and give us your contact information just so we can put you on our email list and keep you up to date. Members, if you want uh, have a question or need uh, something, you may text that number as well and we will get back with you. Uh, we are looking for 100 more volunteers for our nursery. Uh, I think we're up to um, 54 and I think we needed 140. So um, uh, please, please, if you have not volunteered, please do so. Congressional meeting on August 22nd. Uh, we're going to hear some critical updates, and we look forward to that. Uh, next week, we will be back at Streets, and watch the social media, watch your news. Unfortunately, we are hearing really dire uh, reports. I think Labonner, and that is probably the biggest concern that we have right now, um, is the virus seems to be attacking our children, um, and they are certainly one of the most vulnerable populations, and um, all of our hospitals are at capacity or beyond. So we might be making, we're going to have to talk through decisions about nursery, about the start of Sunday school, about all of that, and we hate it. Um, but we have to love our neighbor, and we have to work out of that and from that point and not just um, what's good for us. And, and so pray for us. Uh, let's come together over the next few weeks and months, um, and God help us through this pandemic. Let's stand together. Um, and receive the benediction. Dear friends, uh, hold, up, hold up your arms and receive the blessing of God through his word. Um, may the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or can even imagine, according to his power that is at work within you, may he bless you throughout this day and throughout this week. Dear friends, go in peace.